Welcome to You Might Hate This Book, where each episode one of us will recommend a book to the other. A book that we love that we suspect our co-host might hate. Well, hate is a strong word. How about falls outside of their traditional scope of interest. Fine, that's fair. A book they would never have chosen to read otherwise. We'll read the assigned book, then come back together to discuss. Did you love it? Or did you hate it? So you agree we might hate it. (sighs) Yeah, you might hate it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Hannah. And you might hate this book. From Michael Scott Paper yeah. Company. Who is it? Who is it? It's Marla. Our friend Marla is here. <laughs> Yay! I always want to go, oh, Marla, like from Just Friends. Do I don't either know that. You know, Casey knows what I'm talking about. You've Wait. explained it to me before, but I still don't know. In the movie, there's, <laughs> in the movie, Anna Faris's character gets really up close to this girl's face and goes, Ooh, Darla. And I always just say, oh, Marla. Ma- no. Well, this is our friend Marla. Uh, do you want to say anything, Marla? Sure. Yeah, I'm Marla Record. I'm a technology librarian, and I work with Hannah. And all three of us are in the same book club together. Yes. That's not how we met, but it's no, but the it's, book connection. Yeah. We have a book club, though. We yeah. talk about books a lot. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, you're our second librarian to come on the podcast. We like collecting librarians mm-hmm. as friends and as people. There are... <laughs> Three librarians in the book club? We are <laughs> six, seven people. Yes. That's so, a high percentage of librarians. Yeah. Also, capita. two of them are named Rachel, so. Yeah, there's a lot of librarians in this world named Rachel, and specifically in this one town. <laughs> this, in this area of the world. Yeah. Well, well maybe we'll just I know, have a I know librarian a Rachel podcast. You know a third Rachel librarian? I do. I do. That's amazing. Anyway, um, I digress. So we asked Marla on to be our guest for this May, and she chose a book for us to talk about. So do you want to introduce the book? or Yes. Okay. So the book that I picked uh, is Abbott by Saladin Ahmed, uh, Sami Kivela, uh, Jason Wordy, and Jim Campbell. It's a comic series. And I picked it because I thought both of you could like it, or you both might hate it, but it would be for different reasons <laughs> Oh, okay. both of you. Okay, cool. Ooh, I, I want to hear what you thought we would like and also what you thought we would hate. Yes. <laughs> okay, so I thought Hannah might like the format of it, the mm-hmm. medium of comics. I, yeah, I've read more. like the plot. Comics. Okay. And I thought Stephanie would like the plot, but dislike the medium. Ooh. Okay. I mean, that kind of checks out. Does it? I mean, not necessarily, like, that it came true, but, like, that makes sense that that's oh, what she would oh, predict. Oh, right. Yeah, I have read more graphic novels. Um, this was only my second graphic novel, and my first one was the one you recommended to our book club. So, like, that's oh, it. Oh, you read that one? Yeah. Which one? Oh, nice. Uh, Mama. Mom. Mom. Oh, Mamo. Oh, yeah. That's right. it I did for me that. in graphic novels. Yeah. I have two, and they're both Marla recommendations. Oh. <laughs> um, and I read that, like, a couple weeks ago. So I'm I'm brand new. I'm a brand new little nice. baby okay. to graphic novels. I wondered why you picked this one, so that, that makes sense. Okay. Have you read Paper Girls? 
I read the first volume, but okay. I haven't read the whole thing. Because I've read Paper Girls as well. Okay. And I liked Paper Girls. Yeah. It has so. some similar yeah. story elements. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, do we want to talk about whether or not we liked it or hear Marla talk about the book first? I don't know. I would like to hear your opinions. Okay. 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 You go first. Although, wait, should I summarize it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Tell us a little about. bit about it. Yes. Okay. There's no one better than Alina Abbott to cover hard-hitting stories for the Detroit Daily in 1972. And while her editor tries hard to protect her, the paper's board isn't too keen on a brilliant, tenacious, and commanding black journalist writing about police brutality and systemic racism. So when a tip about a deeply weird series of mutilated animals and inexplicably brutal murders, neither of which the police are investigating, leads her to a well-connected classics professor, the board uses her confrontation with the scholar, and their unmitigated prejudice, of course, as a justification for firing her. But there's something bigger, stranger, and more hellish going on in Detroit, and Abbott is unwittingly right in the middle. I'm still getting used to the graphic novel format. I'm still not quite sure how I feel about it. It's I liked the art style of this okay. one. Um, I did too. Yeah, more mm -hmm. so even than the last one. I did like the setting, like the Detroit setting, and she's very like, I've said before on the podcast, I don't like the hard-boiled detective vibe, but it's different when it's a woman, because it's always, like, yeah. that's just such a a man stereotype. I don't mind it being turned on its head. Well, just being a woman is, you know, changing that trope. So. Yeah, and so she was pretty seriously like that. But in a like a way that I thought was fresh, and I I did like that character. I kept thinking of who was that character in Sundown Motel, the photographer. Yeah, yeah, who yeah. Who was also black. Yeah, a black female. I can't remember her name, but I kept thinking about her when I was reading this. Since definitely a similar vibe, yeah. and like it was very nineteen seventies. Oh yeah, and I liked that setting and the urban setting, and obviously like a city in turmoil, you know, and I like the little, like, tiny little newspaper clippings, just yes, little I bits, because you never want just big exposition, but especially not in a graphic novel, I assume you don't want big mm -hmm. exposition, because that's just, like, slowing well, it down. Watchmen gives you big, yeah, <laughs> reporterly pages. But it's just a little bit from a newspaper clipping of, like, the setting in the city, just to, like, set the tone of it. So I liked the tone of of it more than anything. Okay, cool. How many stars would you give it? It's I'm so new to the medium. I don't Oh, you know. don't know how to rate it yet? I That's fair. I'm going to just say 3 cuz it was like it was fine. <laughs> it like this was a yeah. graphic novel. Yeah, I'm I'm still just like it is a graphic novel. I don't okay. know. Okay. Well, full disclosure, I didn't finish it. <laughs> it's I've been grading research papers. Okay, that's that But um I really, and I did read some summaries online. I really liked it. Like, I want to keep reading it. I will finish it. <laughs> but um, it was weird. Like, I was happy for the weird turn it took. Otherwise, it would have been a little too gritty. Like, they're, these yeah. murders are pretty brutal. Um, yeah. But the weird shadow mm -hmm. monster and then, like, her love interest. I didn't get far enough. I mean, he's dead. Yeah. Right. But, um... Yeah, I I found it very engaging, and I, I liked it. I liked the plot of what I know of it so far. <laughs> I want to get to know this side character. Oh, man, I'm going to forget his name. But, like, the 
hippie tarot card guy. Yeah. Oh, what's I, his name? Do you remember his name? Sebastian? Sebastian. Yes, yes Sebastian. Sebastian. I was... He was fun. Yeah, I yeah. knew it started with an S. But he pops up and I'm like, interesting. And I want to just like, I want to go on a side quest with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed he, all the side characters. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he had a little line about like how he, right before this character... <laughs> this character dies. Yeah, um, mentions being on Earth for eight hundred years, and you're like, wait, what? What? Yeah. yeah. Come back. I think I think her response is, wait, what? And, and then, then he like <laughs> goes away. Um, like, so I would like, on. I would like to revisit that. Who are you, and and why? <laughs> yeah, I liked the weird X Filesiness of yeah. it very much. That's that's what appealed to me a really? lot. Mm. Is that. Abbott reminds me a lot of Mulder, but is yes. kind of like a subversion of that like investigator yes. figure because like Mulder is competent. Nobody believes him because he's talking about stuff that isn't real. Right. Abbott is also competent and nobody believes her because she has been talking about stuff that is real that makes people mad. Yes. She is discredited because she's talked too much about police brutality. And she's exposed to the truth, and that's made enemies. And I think it's it's really interesting that, like, Mulder kind of does the same thing of, like, investigating a system and trying to bring it down and expose all the lies, but it's still a science fiction, like, fantasy truth yes, that it's he's a, exposing. It's a conspiracy theory, you yes. know, kind of thing that he's exposing, whereas she's, like, Exposing a very real life yeah. situation that's affecting people. It's historical and current. Yes. And then she also learns about supernatural stuff. Right. That's a good, yeah, that's a really good explanation. I, I enjoyed her character. I liked her quotes at the beginning about needing order mm-hmm. in the chaos. It's like you have to stick to routines. That's what yeah. keeps the monsters at bay. I was yeah. like, I, I vibe with that. I'm an outer order, inner calm kind of person. Yeah. I really liked the grittiness of it, and I guess... I didn't love it, but there was enough else going on, as we've discovered, yeah. that I need. <laughs> I think you probably, the weird, magical turn it took made you like it more. I was yes. not as interested in that part. I was like, let's just get to the gritty that's, detective stuff. That's another thing I figured you would like, the yeah. supernatural, and you wouldn't. Yeah, I was like, okay, I mean, this took a turn, but let's just get back to the detective stuff and, like... Drinking your brandy at the end of the night. The the supernatural turn reminded me of Paper Girls, which Mm -hmm. is why I asked you about that, because I really liked that. It it was just fun. I thought it was a little heavy-handed at times. I think that's... I think that can happen with graphic I was going to say, it felt like maybe that was more common of a tone in that medium, which, again, I'm not familiar with. But you you only have so much... So many words. Mm -hmm. So you use them very sharply like I'm only going to use one sentence to communicate this and so I think maybe that's why it felt really heavy-handed on certain issues for me because it's stripping away all the some of the social issues yeah 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 I mean I feel I feel that way with a lot of things that try to come off as educational almost like Mm -hmm. they seem didactic instead of a story which this is supposed to be uh, but this, I mean, I felt like the villain monologue at the end was very 
very didactic, I guess. Yeah. I, I feel it like that happens. theatrical, almost. I feel mm-hmm. like that happens a lot, though. With, yeah. I don't, I'm not, I probably haven't read as many graphic novels as you, Marla, but I feel like that, the one I always go to is like the, the quintessential graphic novel is Watchmen. Yeah. And Ozymandias has his whole spiel, villain spiel at the end, just like Dr. Manhattan does, even though he's not the villain. And I don't know. I feel like that's pretty common. Yeah. And that's, Watchmen is kind of a response and like subversion of com- comics from a certain right. era. Right. I looked into this author more and specifically his opinion of like the Silver Age of comics and stuff, and he really loves it. Like, oh, okay. He loves the old X Men comics where you have these long dramatic monologues and like the huge text bubbles that fill up the mm-hmm. page and stuff. So I think. It's it's because of his background and what he likes to read. Gotcha. Has he written it, some Spider-Man comics? He has. So this this author has done a lot. He uh, he started out actually writing prose and poetry. Oh. Uh, and his prose was science fiction and fantasy. Oh. Okay. He's written a fantasy novel. I wrote down the title of it because I haven't read it. Yes. So his novel was Throne of the Crescent Moon, and it's a fantasy Ooh. novel that is like based on Muslim and, like, Arabic culture instead of the traditional, like, Christian-European culture. Right. That's the basis mm. for fantasy. We talked about that in our bonus episode on tropes. Yeah. I, yeah. I like that. I, I do. So I want to read that. That's, yeah. a good, that's a good title. Yeah. Like a it. lot of his genre fiction comes from a place of wanting to recognize minorities and uh, like just any kind of marginalized group in Mm. fantasy and sci-fi so what he's written at marvel was black bolt which is like a space fantasy type setting uh ms marvel who is a muslim character i have read some ms marvel oh yeah and uh miles morales Mm -hmm. oh that's awesome Mm -hmm. yep so he's he's written these legacy characters who represent marginalized groups and like with Miss awesome. Marvel his own yeah right. his own cultural group that's cool that so. he's written about his own as well as others um, yeah yeah i'm really interested in that fantasy novel just cuz like so much of even fantasy it's completely made up and yet it's still really eurocentric which probably means christian centric and mm-hmm. everything else and so even in this like completely creative made up world, it's almost too grounded in my real life because mm-hmm. it like at the core of it, it's starting from a basis of just like me. I think it would be more interesting to read fantasy that doesn't begin with the core understanding that it's Eurocentric. Yeah. Like it would just be more original from the get go because its basis is in something else. Well, and he talked a lot. To, I read several interviews with him. He talks about how he grew up outside of Detroit, which is where this oh, comic okay. is set in Dearborn, Michigan. Oh, I which know. Yep, has a very high um, immigrant and refugee Arabic population mm-hmm. and Muslim culture, and he said he was immersed in that. But also, his dad was a fan of like really geeky, nerdy things, so he grew up with all the, like, 70s and 80s nerd culture of, like, Star Wars and Dungeons and Dragons. He said, like, the first stuff he read was Dungeons and Dragons, 
handbooks and oh, no. and <laughs> comics. <laughs> like that's wow. really nerdy. Like yes. comics is one thing, but just reading a D&D handbook. I only go to those when I'm building a character. <laughs> so he he grew up with that being the basis for a lot of his imagined worlds, but mm-hmm. if you go back to those, they're very white and yes, very just kind of dominant culture. There's not a lot of diversity in Dungeons and Dragons uh, in the early years. And like that era of comics was getting a little bit better with diversity in comics, but the writers weren't as diverse. Right. So he loved this culture and loved genre fiction, but wanted to see a more honest representation of himself. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Tell us more about him. What else? What else did you learn? Um, His dad also was really involved with the community in that area mm-hmm. and like had a nonprofit for the Muslim community in the area and like was friends with Black Panthers and stuff. So a lot of that social awareness and community involvement informed Abbott. I can, that makes sense. I can see yeah. that. The Black Panthers are like mentioned several times in the yeah. beginning mm-hmm. of it too. Yeah. And I I found an interview where someone asked him what brought this idea to life. And he said he likes working with archetypes. I have lots of archetypes that are familiar to people, and I like taking those pieces and kind of customizing them and then doing different things with them. And one of the kind of really familiar genre tropes that I've always loved is the sort of paranormal investigator, the person who's sort of doggedly after the truth. And I think that type of figure, Fox Mulder, Mm -hmm. Kolchak, the Night Stalker from the 70s TV show, Mm -hmm. those types of characters really speak to what we need in our own times in particular. I think they've always been fun for me, but I also think there's something there in terms of the way that truth is sort of more and more obscured these days. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. That is interesting. I like that. So he talks a lot about like subverting these tropes, making them new by making them represent different kinds of people. That's cool. Yeah. This is making more sense why I like this yeah, because I knew every single of those TV characters. Yeah, because yeah. I've watched all those shows. <laughs> I got all those references. I was like, yeah. yeah, okay. If that's what's informing this, I am. Um... Yeah, tell me about the ending. I want to know. I mean, I don't care about spoilers. I'll still read it, and also I'll get to experience all the images. You know, that's that's true. I can't describe them for you no. very well. <laughs> um, so the story starts with her investigating these murders and animal mutilations, it turns out that there's this secretive force at work in the world. And um, as described right. by the kind of tarot shop owner, yes, I uh, got Sebastian, to him. He, mm-hmm. he implies that there's like a society behind this, some kind of group that is dedicated to this dark work. And they're called the Umbra. So she investigates and learns that the man behind all of this is a classics professor. Right. And she sneaks into his house and is captured. This part I thought was really sad. The boy who in the first episode is kind of hitting on her and she's like, Hold on. Oh, You're the, a boy, the boy in like the, the diner? diner. Yes. Oh, no. He is murdered. And oh, no. Is turned into a satyr. Oh. Oh, that's upsetting. It's, it is up. It's very upsetting. And uh, so she wakes up in this mansion. The villain 
explains his whole plot to her. It's, right. It really sounds like uh, just like a Nazi wannabe guy. Oh. He's talking about eugenics. He's talking about how, like, we need to return to the good old days of, like, Rome and Greece. Yes, Basically, those good old days. Yes, yeah. like when <laughs> he, things were bloody, when stories had meaning. He calls the 70s effeminate. And, yes. like, we've just gotten away from men fighting men and being men. Okay. Yeah, but Let's it's get also... get back to a coliseum with a sword and fight a lion. Yeah, it's it's very much like... You <laughs> he would know, own like, a red hat, you know? Yeah. Mm. But, like, you know how, like, a lot of white supremacists glorify classical... Yes. cultures and ideals yes. without really wrestling with them but they're like it was all fine before all these other people got involved in our lives yes like, golden age none of those yes. people existed before golden age right. thinking where everything in the past has this gold veneer and you're yeah. like oh it was better then when it's like actually and specifically like the greeks and the romans like white okay. supremacists will act like that was the pinnacle of art that was the pinnacle of philosophy because now we have contributions from non-white people and like Eastern cultures, oh. uh, the global South, and we need to go back to a time where we didn't know that any of those people existed. Oh, okay. <laughs> we only have philosophy from one group of people. I guess that yes. makes sense, and I've heard that. I've never made that explicit it's connection in my head. Yeah, A lot of them are also like into Vikings. Um, oh, now that is, yeah. It's okay. kind of a, a similar, connection. like... If someone's really into the Greeks, you gotta watch out. Well, it's, it's, honestly, <laughs> I mean, it's not even the Greeks so much as the Romans. Right. It's sure. like if someone's really into World War Two, but won't say which side, <laughs> and it's like the Vikings and I'm just Rome. collecting these red flags, put yeah. them in my pocket okay, for later. Okay. Yeah. I've got several new red flags. This to watch is why out for. I need Marla in my life. She always tells me about cultural things I am not as aware of. Which <laughs> obviously like having an interest in Rome and different historical periods right. of any time, like that in itself isn't a red flag. It's just why they idolize this well, group of people. Right. And that's the danger of idolatry in general. Yeah. Like there are good and bad things about a lot of eras. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So he monologues for a while. Along those lines, okay. talking about how like okay, dude, it gets it gets racist and it gets <laughs> it gets racist. Well, he ta and just very sexist. Um, sure, like a lot of they stuff. Go ahead hand. It's it is very over the top. Like you know, he's a villain, and you know, people who believe these things are also villains. Like that's gotcha. the moral essentially. But at least it's clear. Yes, it's very clear. <laughs> okay. Um. As she is listening to this guy monologue, who knows how long it lasts. The, Too long. The cheese, the um, brother and sister who own that bar. Yes. Mm -hmm. They break into this guy's house. Oh. Because um, Amelia, who previously told her, you know, you only interact with me when you need me. I'm not going right. to do that anymore. She has a change of heart. She's really worried that something right. happened and she's off on her own. So they break in and they fight a werewolf creature. And the her police officer ex-husband also shows up at the same time. So yes. all her, oh, they're all, they're all, all, all yes. her past people come and converge. And... and they're trying to rescue her. They don't end up being the ones to rescue her because they just have to spend all their time fighting this werewolf. Oh, Instead... Sure. The old white guy professor says, 
he can't kill her. If he martyrs her, the light that she represents will destroy him. So instead, okay. he's going to curse her. He's going to change her the way he's changed all these people that he's murdered and make her into a harpy oh. to, like, do his bidding. And he has Wardell, or, like, what's left of Wardell, prepare to sacrifice her. And she is able to get through to him. She reminds him of his father. She tells him the thing that, like, ultimately breaks him free is she says, this man does not own you. Oh, nice. And um, he realizes what's going on. He frees her and is released. Oh, good. Like the previous men were. Oh, okay. This old guy is reading from a scroll, preparing this ceremony, this curse. I don't As know one does. exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she remembers uh, what her husband said. I believe it was him who said like you need to burn his words because she had and she a, didn't know what that meant she had a she had a dream a vision of him okay. he said you need to burn his words she realizes it's this scroll that she can literally physically burn and cool. she has her lighter on her of course because she's a chain smoker and <laughs> she really is <laughs> and she she burns his scroll okay. and like a light is unleashed he's disintegrated all of the souls of all the people that he's made into monsters are freed oh okay so it doesn't end on a cliffhanger like some of these do. no oh, it's okay. it's the conclusion of the series oh okay so this is a standalone or is it this is. well there is a sequel so it's this isn't a graphic novel in that it was a series they were oh. published as individual issues i shouldn't yes but it was you. a limited run series Meaning they knew from the beginning it was only going to be five issues. Okay. So that's why they're labeled, like, chapters. Yeah. Yes, in the book it's chapters, yes. Yeah, so they were released on, like, a monthly schedule, but it, the plan was always, it's just a limited run. Gotcha. So that's the end of the story. There is a second run. So this, this series came out in 2019. There's another one, Abbott 1973, that came out in 2021. And... It's like a follow-up, but again, it's a it's a limited run series. Oh, okay, cool. Have you read that one? I have not because I read this in 2021, as it was as the second series was coming out, and I was like, well, I'll just wait for the trade to collect them all, and I forgot to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. That's okay. We'll we'll return to that. Um, no, I am very curious about it. Were there things you liked about the ending, Stephanie? I felt like she had three different love interests. Yeah. And she comes to a conclusion with all of them, it feels like. Uh -huh. She has all of these kind of open-ended romantic relationships with three different people. And by the end, it's like she gets some closure slash maybe a new mission with her dead uh, yeah. lover or husband. I don't know if they were married. Yeah, I can't. I can't it was remember. not clear if they were Samir, right? Yeah, I can't remember if they were married. But, like, he implies that he's still trapped in some way. Like, when all the other souls are freed, he's like, not me, though. And she promises to, like, find him. But also she gets to see him again, and they get to embrace. And so, like, that feels like she got some kind of conclusion with him. You know, the ex-husband cop, like, right. comes and saves her. But also they have this established boundary of, like, we're not together anymore. 
and the cop ex-husband references when the cheese show up that maybe while they were married Abbott was with um Amelia Amelia yeah, I'm not sure of the timeline of any of this. I don't know with when she was with any of these people. Yeah. Like, it just... It felt clear that the author knew, but, like, it wasn't pertinent to the story, so... Right, yeah. It was, just it was all in, in the, the past. background. Yeah. And I got the sense at the beginning of the story that she's trying to leave her past behind. She doesn't want right. to keep remembering the Samir who she's lost and mm -hmm. she's grieving. She does not want to pursue things with her ex-husband, even mm -hmm. though he very much does want to. And, like, she is afraid of the other connection. And With Amelia? Yes. Mm -hmm. But then at I the got end... That. I and got I, that sense, too. I think yeah. they also maybe represented different phases of her life. Mm-hmm. And, like, her growth as a person that now she's able to choose one that represents the future and oh. possibility cool. and growth. And that's where it kind of ends with her and Amelia is they're like, she's like, I'm not afraid, at least in this moment, to pursue something with you. And then it just, like, goes to black. Oh. But, um, yeah, it feels like all these different things are kind of open-ended. And she so it's not, it's not settles tidy. this one, right. settles this one, and then it's like possibility question mark over here with this one but isn't so, that what you want moving forward like just yeah. with life with relationships or anything it's like we need to like set some boundaries for things i don't want to return to and then also yeah. look toward the future well and i like when you get to imagine whether or not someone ends up together like oh right i'm thinking yeah of i don't know if you ever even got to this part but in gray's anatomy um callie leaves the show and then arizona eventually gets written off the show too and it's implied I didn't get to that it's strongly implied that Arizona goes to where Callie is. Well, you know for sure that Arizona goes to where Callie is. And oh, it's right. strongly implied that they will then get back together. Oh, yeah. But not, you're not told that. And so I get to have whatever ending I like. Oh, and I... in my, my ending, they are happy forever. Oh, I have TV shows like that and books where it's like, in my version, and it, in Hannah's version, you cannot contradict this is what me right. because canon doesn't have an right. ending. So my ending is canon. They're happy. Like forever. I had an ending to Gilmore Girls before a year in the life. And yeah, I think I might prefer mine. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's no one will convince me otherwise. But so yeah, yeah I liked that. It was very mm -hmm. Arizona and Cali of like I get to choose that they are probably happy. Yeah. Well, it's nice. I feel more invested in relationships when I can, like, imagine that there could be something. When there's either way, mm -hmm. there's potential. When something just gets definitively stated, it's a lot less interesting to yeah. me. Yeah, even if it's happily ever after, it's like, yeah. okay, well, cool, bye. bye. I, guess. <laughs> I guess primarily if the relationship is built on will they, won't they, because then once that's answered, I don't care yep. anymore. I don't now care I about know. their Once their Sam and Diane are together, yeah. nobody watches Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah that's so cool. I'm curious about, like, obviously you like graphic novels and you've mm -hmm. recommended to our book club and then you chose one for this. What do you like about this medium? I really like that it incorporates two forms of conveying information, like two storytelling mediums. Uh, it's, I think it's, it's called sequential storytelling, 
where you have a visual medium in distinct panels that conveys a story and there may or may not be text mm-hmm. involved. And I just, I love it. Yeah. I think it's so creative. I think it's something you can't do in other mediums. Like there's always something special that you can't translate to even like live action or mm-hmm. solely print text. Something will be lost. Yeah, because yes. even like spatial mm-hmm. orientation on the page yeah. and, like, is meaningful. meaningful, and how the text is written, like the letters yes. are important. Yes. Like all of that, it's very deliberate, and it it tells a story using so many choices. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. Mm-hmm. I just think it's I just think it's neat. Yeah, it's elegant. I mean, obviously, Kyle likes comics and graphic mm-hmm. novels, and um, I. Hannah and I were both so busy this week, and so I was, like, finishing this book, like, an hour ago, um, and he was like, I mean, you have the visuals to help you understand the story, and I was like, oh, wow, that seems like it should have been obvious, but I was, I was just trying to read as many of the words as possible, and I was not looking at any of the pictures, and he was like, you can probably skip some of the words and just look at the pictures, and that'll tell more of the story, and I was like, now that you say that, that makes so much sense. It's a graphic novel. I should yes. be looking at the graphics. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, this does tell the story like a lot, a lot more yeah. earnestly cool. than the words do. Yeah. I mean, and I realized that on the first one that she read, I read the words and I just like, it's didn't hard. Even look at the, it's hard for me to overcome that too, just because mm-hmm. I did grow up reading text. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think for anybody who, has read books it's a little hard to transition from one to the other it's been hard for me and i read so much that i want to read quickly so when Mm -hmm. i'm reading a textbook i'm trying to flip pages as quickly as possible i'm trying to read as quickly as possible and i was like that is not the point here i don't think you're supposed to sit and look and ponder and allow the visual to tell a story and yeah, I was just really shocked by like how obvious it was to Kyle. Like, well, you can use the pictures to help you understand the story. And I was like, I literally wasn't looking at those. Yeah. That, was, that was one of my questions actually that I wanted to ask you was, did you think the visuals made it easier to understand or did they distract you from what was going on? Once I decided to put the two together, <laughs> I thought it made it easier to understand yeah. and I, enjoyed the way things were put on the page sometimes was different Mm -hmm. and there were several really creative things like Mm -hmm. at one point she makes four different phone calls and so it's a picture of her but it's split four ways like a window panel and it's the text from the different phone calls that she makes like going around like a clock and I just really liked that I was like this is I immediately understand that she made four phone calls right in a row to four different people and they're summarized in one sentence each. And I just get this idea that she's like, all right, who are my people on my list? Who, if mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in trouble, I got to get these people involved. And she just does it. And I was like, that's cool. Yeah. And yeah. that's got to be the whole point of putting it into a graphic format at all is so that you can do stuff like that. Yeah, oh, like yeah. That's, that's something that would, I feel like would take so long to convey in a novel. Or yes. if you did, it would be boring. I called four people in a row. Right. Okay. And like, it's just one sentence from each conversation, but the way that she speaks, because I also reread it today. Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) Sure. Before coming here. The way that she speaks to each of them, even without saying their names, you know who she's talking to. Mm -hmm. 
because it instantly communicates the the character and so it's one of the examples where text and image have to go together yeah to yes. understand what's going on it's not just that it adds to it it's they work in tandem mm -hmm. to tell the whole story you couldn't separate the two yeah i th it helps me um understand the story i like the visuals i had to train myself out of doing what you were talking about stephanie like just reading the words because i started reading graphic novels because brandon is also into them and I would read them quickly, and then we'd talk about it, and he'd be like, well, what do you think about this picture? And he'd ask me about the, and I was like, oh, I don't, I, was just reading I don't remember what you're talking about. He's like, didn't you look at the pictures? I was like, I mean, I glanced at them while I was <laughs> reading the words. Um, but I read Monstrous, I don't know if you, mm, and yeah. those, it's so pretty. It is. We and have so, that one. Kyle loves that one. Oh, it's so pretty. I'll like the the just the imagery is so pretty. So I, that really like I was like, okay, I'm gonna focus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's my thing that I'm gonna like start reading a lot of graphic novels. But I think hearing you explain that something is always no matter what medium you were to put it in, you would lose something that you you have to get with this like these two things combined. I can really appreciate what they are. And so if there's like a really good one. Something else that I like and that I learned when first reading graphic novels is that they're so good for rereading. Yes, oh, yeah. super easy I, to reread. I don't want to end a novel and immediately start it from the beginning again. Yeah. Every time I read a graphic novel, I want to just flip back to the beginning and read through again, focusing on a different thing. Probably catch something different, yeah. Like, yes. And and that's, it's so much fun to, to just read through it, get the story. I usually focus on the text the first time around and then go through and just look at the pictures or then go through and, and only look at the colors mm -hmm. or the panel layout. Oh, I've like, never gone that far. Just, I've never, that's cool. Well, and the reason I started doing that is because I read comics as a kid getting books from the library and we would have it for two weeks, but I would finish it in like 20 minutes. <laughs> now what do I do? <laughs> just look at it again, I guess. Look at the pictures. Oh, that's cool. And, and I would go through to like tracing the pictures and copying yeah. stuff and, and learning to draw from comic books. Uh, that's that's cool. so cool. I love that. The other thing I used to train myself to notice the pictures more, have you ever read one that has no text? I think I I recently bought one that doesn't have a lot of text. It's uh, the Moth Keeper. Okay. I think that's the title. My the Moth Keeper. my sister very thoughtfully got one for Brandon one year. I think for his birthday. It's the, called The Arrival by Sean Tan. I have that one. It's, it's so it's, good. It's his copy. Oh, it's, it's, it's so good. Like she means I have that one. Is I have that there, copy there of are, that book. There are no words, and in fact, the absence of words in that graphic novel is part of what it part of what tells the story because oh. it's the story of of an immigrant oh yeah and it's the pictures are beautiful and i had nothing else to go on like yeah. so i really honed it and you had to notice these little details to understand the story mm -hmm. yeah and it was so cool and that was that was a fun yeah journey this for sounds me. so interesting and yes. there's so many different kinds of art too like this yes. i feel like is kind of a standard graphic novel yeah or comic yeah, art sure. style mm -hmm. it there were some things that were unique about it like something that i noticed going through it is 
these very warm colors would be used and then like blues and greens but like deep purple and black was only ever used in the like scary scenes mm -hmm. with oh. the monsters and like okay. the tentacle things and the claws and stuff like that was kind of unique to this artist interesting uh, the artist i really liked the color the palette i that was that was a separate person uh the colorist not the really not the oh. mm -hmm. that's also that's also the interesting thing is like I love I love comics because they're so collaborative. Right. There are plenty of people who just do everything themselves. Right. But like serialized comics, the majority of them are teams that work together. So you have the writer, but then you have multiple artists. You have like the line artist, you have the colorist, you have the letterer. Sometimes you have a person You could be a letterer. Stephanie. Sometimes you have a person for layouts. Uh, sometimes you have someone who does pencils and then another person does the ink over it. I would never think that as an artist you would even be able to like create the whole picture without using color, knowing that it will eventually have color. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you could yeah. make something knowing this will never have color, but like putting your art down and then being like someone else gets to color it and decide. But that's yeah. so interesting that that's... It's very collaborative. Like yeah. you really have to work with And like your only people. job is picking the colors that go. But it's such with a it. big thing, and like I feel like there are colors. As a graphic, there are colors that I would be able to recognize no matter who the artist yeah. is. Yeah, really. Based That's on so how distinctive their choices are, and similarly, like or well, I guess in the opposite direction, you can have fam a familiar artist writer duo, but like. The different team-ups make everything so distinct. Yes. Like, uh, you could have a writer that you're really familiar with, but the artist you've never seen before, so it feels completely different to anything you've read. Oh, this is cool. This is making me yeah. think of other collaborations. Cause, mm -hmm. And, like, what you were describing, Stephanie, isn't quite what happens, because they're obviously talking to each other while right. they're doing it. And, like, so you don't have to just, as the line artist, hand it off to somebody. Because I'm thinking about when I've worked with Brandon as a director and he the scenic designer for a theatrical production. And it's like, I don't have the technical know-how to say, okay, X, Y, and Z needs to get created, but I can be like, so I'm going for this feel. These are the vibes. <laughs> These are my vibes. This is the theme I'm highlighting with the way I'm portraying this. And he'll be like, oh, okay. So, and then he has the vision to put it in a set design and it's like yes i could not have done that i just kind of gave you yeah. this prompt um so i'm just imagining now these this like line <laughs> you know artists being like this has a this vibe and the colorist i know purple is <laughs> like yeah. as a graphic designer like i love a good color palette yeah. and i especially like yeah. a limited color palette that then Ooh, uses have... an extra to highlight that limited color palette i have I some recommendations for you then. okay oh okay and this one, you mentioned a wordless comic. A really, really good example of that is the Hawkeye comic. that Like um, Hawkeye from Marvel? Yes. Okay. But one specific run um, from, like, 2012. And it's... The author is Matt Fraction, and the artist is David Aja. And the colorist, who's very distinctive, is Matt Hollingsworth. And uh, there's a an issue where his childhood deafness returns and it shows 
through the absence of text that he cannot hear what people are saying. Ooh. So again, the wordlessness is part of yeah. the story, right? Yeah, and it's like that was the first time I read a comic and I was like, oh, this is also like an audio medium because yeah. when you read, that's like, and like, what does it mean to not have that? And so they depict sign language oh, and wow. lip reading in static forms. Like you wouldn't think you would be able to do that yeah, that's interesting. Ah. But it's it's really cool, and the coloring is really really neat. It's a very Marla's limited. convincing me of things. Now this might be my new hobby. <laughs> I was very... like, I'm not convinced. I like graphic novels, but this was okay. <laughs> it's a very limited palette, and like he'll use like six colors. So like someone's skin tone in one panel will be the color of the sky in a panel on the next page. Like yeah, it's so neat, and it ties everything together. I just really love that comic. Oh, it was one of the first ones that I got really into. Yeah, yeah. Hawkeye's your favorite, isn't he? Kyle's gonna be mad again. He's gonna be like, so someone on the podcast convinced you to like something I've been trying to get you to like for ten years. (laughs) Here we are again. Sorry, sorry, Kyle. I mean, I as an English teacher, I always hear the complaints of like, oh, you've analyzed a book to death. But sometimes analysis and thinking about process Mm -hmm. makes you appreciate something more that's why when we started this podcast i wanted us to ask each other do you like it more or less now that we've talked about it because sometimes talking about what it means how it was created Mm -hmm. makes you like it more yes or less yeah and like as far as a comic book i thought abbott was fine yeah. I give it a three, yeah. but like that was interesting. Yeah, you know. And now you're also, gonna go back and look at it, aren't you? It's Probably. more fun <laughs> to hear from someone who likes the thing. I don't want to hear criticism from someone who just hates the thing. <laughs> I want to hear a discussion from someone who loves it. Like, yeah, that will help me appreciate it more. Yeah, yeah. You cl- well, well, you've convinced me to at least expand my horizons to. And next time I look at a graphic novel probably recommended by you i will look at it differently you know like this one i was just like it's words and it's pictures and i'll look at it Mm -hmm. and i'll be looking for different things next time so that's cool yeah do you have anything else you want to say about abbott um i did okay so i found something while i was researching just like different discussion points i just want to mention this really cool resource that i found because Something that's mentioned a lot is the police brutality in Detroit specifically. And Abbott is discredited because she published a story about a teenage boy who was murdered by the police. And I was looking into this more because, like, the year is very specific. Like, Mm. it's 1972. The age of the boy is mentioned. And like so it felt intentional. It did. So I wanted to see specifically what this was referring to. And I believe it was the 1971 murder of Ricardo Buck and Craig Mitchell, uh, a 15 year old and a 16 year old. It, it's, it was a horrible incident um, that I won't describe, but I learned about it through a really really cool resource called Detroit Under Fire. Oh. It's a digital multimedia exhibit created by the a history lab at the University of Michigan. Hmm. So it's it's almost like a museum. It's so thorough. They did all this original research and they have presented it in a really easy to understand way. Hmm. 
So like you can go to this website, you can see this like timeline. There's all kinds of like interactive maps and photos and they've collected um, accounts of incidents that were covered up by the police and examined the evidence from accounts to figure out what actually happened. So it's, it's a really academic, very thorough research project that's presented in a really accessible way. We need to put that in the show notes. Yes. Yeah. I just, sure. I just wanted to mention that even if we did not talk about Detroit under fire, all of that, but yeah, it's, it's really I cool. want to take a look at I... that and we need to link it in the show notes so other people can. Yeah. yeah one of my favorite things to explore is multimodal compositions. Mm -hmm. And so that's really intriguing. It was, it was very exciting. I immediately sent emails to the history faculty that I work with. Oh, <laughs> so yes. I can just, imagine some of them were very appreciative of that. Just as, as a librarian, I was like, oh, students can use this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, librarians. I know. Here's a resource for students. <laughs> and I'm just yeah. thinking like any kind of composition that's not just text, like yeah. getting students to understand you yeah. can write yeah. in other forms besides typing, mm -hmm. you know, on it. Yeah. Mm. That's cool. Thank you for that's that. That's really cool. Well, well, cool. I enjoyed this. Yeah. We should have more graphic novel discussions. All right. Well, thank you, Marla, for mm -hmm. joining thank us. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. We'll see you next time. Bye. I guess, but I like that it was a little bit gay. Oh, well, not yeah. a lot of I it think, gay. I think it gets gay. more.